This is the Amblecote Christian Centre podcast. Thanks for tuning in to listen to this podcast as we continue our series on Kingdom Living. I began with a series in June with the subject God and Rest. Tim Murray talked about God and public hope. And Tim Barton recently talked about God and community. And this month, during really September, October, I'm going to be talking about God and work. The idea behind this series is to help us to understand what it means to live kingdom lives. Thinking and living, I guess, as Jesus followers is one way we could put it. Some of these subjects need some real thought and consideration. So why not talk to a friend or maybe family about the main things that have struck you as you've listened and um, maybe consider what it is that you need to do to continue to walk out your discipleship journey as Jesus has called you to. So on to God and work then. Well, I'll be recording three podcasts. In this first podcast, I'm going to talk very briefly um, uh, in terms of introducing the subject um, and what the Bible has to say really about the purpose of work. I think most of us would say that we all need work in some shape or form to lead a fulfilled life. Then in the second podcast, I'll talk about some of the problems of work. We'd be naive and even untruthful if we fail to recognise that sometimes work is difficult. And then the third podcast will be looking at the gospel and how it reshapes or redeems work for us. So to help us look at this in a very practical way, um, I'm going to be interviewing a few people who'll talk about how the gospel affects the way that they've tried to live out the gospel and some of those principles and, and how they become incarnational in their workplace. Most of us, if not all of us, work in some shape or form. You may be a mum or dad bringing up a family. You could be a volunteer in a project. You may work in retail, the arts or local government, a cleaner or a teacher. Or indeed, you may work for the church or a Christian charity. All of these are expressions of work. So today, what we're going to explore together is what the Bible has to say about how God designed it. So Tim's already mentioned some of these things uh, that I'll be talking about when he talked in his podcast about God and public hope, particularly in his second podcast. But let me begin by talking about uh, the Christian or should I say church's view of work that I grew up with as a new believer. And some of you may associate with this. When I first committed to follow Christ in the 70s, I was part of a mainstream Pentecostal church. The Christian perspective of work there that I encountered was one where I felt as if work was sort of like a necessary evil and that church activities were far more important. And if you were a pastor, well, then you'd really found God's purpose for your life. There seemed to be a sense of a a sacred secular divide. Um, By that, I mean activities like reading the Bible, attending church and sharing your faith with friends were sort of spiritual and work was a mean to provide for you and yours and the, and the church's spiritual ministry really I suppose there was a big emphasis on seeing work as a means to evangelize your colleagues and so grow the church and I think this resulted in some ways in work having no intrinsic value of its own right having said that I think it's fair to say that our understanding of work has and is changing many are really starting to comprehend its worth and value We'll talk more about this later. Maybe a postmodern or secular work view, or let's call it a world's work view of work at a basic level, is it's something I do in order to live. At best, maybe it exists for my own self-fulfillment and self-realisation, 
So it's a means by which I can realise my own goals, my own dreams, like buying a house, having nice holidays, making sure my kids have the best that I can afford, and maybe just enjoying many of those creature comforts. Work can also be a way by which we create an identity for ourselves, or maybe even create a name for ourselves, a means by which we become someone. Uh, We can also rely on it quite heavily to give us status. Of course, for many, this comes with the additional baggage of worry, anxiety, and possibly even disappointment. We'll talk about that more in the second podcast. Also, this way of thinking uh, um, rarely helps us to comprehend, for example, common good. The fact that work should have a communal goal rather than just an individual goal. Increasingly, many great thinkers and many theologians think that we should recover the idea of work being a vocation. A job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it for them, rather than you doing it for yourself. We'll see that this idea of work is faithful to true biblical thought. In the Bible, work exists as a mission of service or something, uh, sorry, to something or someone beyond our own personal interests. This enables us to reintegrate faith and work. Interestingly, and I think importantly, both Luther and Calvin argued that so-called secular work was as much a calling from God as the ministry of a monk or priest. So let's look at God's plan for work. To do this, I'm going to look at four things. Firstly, God's design for work. Secondly, the dignity of work. Then workers' cultivation. And fourthly, This whole idea that work is service. So firstly, God's design for work. Let's turn to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, to find out about the origin of work. In Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, and verse 15, it says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. On the seventh day God finished all the work that he'd done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis 2, 1 to 3 and verse 15. So here we have the author of Genesis describing God's creation of the world as work. In these verses, we read that God was the first worker. Working for six days, he rests, and then he invites humankind to join him in working. Wait for it, in working in paradise. True paradise involves work, there's a thought. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for work used in this opening account of the world of human endeavour is the same word as used for ordinary human work. For me, this is somewhat unexpected. Um, in fact, I think maybe extraordinary that God describes himself as doing the same work as every other human being. Sometimes we think that work must be beneath God. Something just ordinary, that, something that just ordinary people do, like uh, maybe you and me. No, it seems God works for the sheer joy of it. In fact, we read in chapter one that God not only works, but finds delight in it. Genesis tells us God saw all that he had made 
and it was very good. It goes on in chapter 2. The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And then God stands back, takes in all that he's done, and he's satisfied with his work. Chapter 2 goes on to tell us how he creates human beings and then works for them as their provider. So he not only forms mankind, but plants a garden for them, enlists them as workers, and then continues to provide for them by watering and cultivating the ground. Read Psalm 104. says this, He sends springs in the valleys. He waters the upper chambers. He causes the grass to grow, etc., etc. Read it for yourself. Finally, we see that humankind is commissioned to carry on his work. So they're called to fill the earth and subdue it. This word subdue suggests that uh, though... Uh, all he has done is very good there's still more work to do god sort of leaves creation with untapped potential that's to be unlocked by us as humans laboring or working as his employees not only that there's also the sense that we do not just work for him but in our work he works through us and of course this is why work is so important One writer says this, work is as much a human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and even sexuality. It's not simply medicine, but food for our soul. So I think it's fair to say that without meaningful work, I'm sure some of you experience this, we often sense a significant inner loss and a feeling of emptiness. Um, You may well have known someone for whom the loss of a job has been devastating, not simply because it's their means of income that's dried up, but because of the loss of meaning that work brings to us. So that loss of work is deeply disturbing. Why? Because it's what we were made for. You see, the Bible teaches we don't merely need money from work to survive. We, We need work itself to survive and be fully human. Having said that, Um, and we'll talk about this in the second podcast, we realise and accept that we live in a fallen world. Work can be frustrating, exhausting, and you can quickly jump to the conclusion that work's to be avoided or just endured. Not only that, we too are fallen, and our hearts crave affirmation and validation. It's easy for work to push in the absolute opposite direction, making life more about my personal success and accomplishment. But I'll say more about this in the second podcast. So number two, um, not only does God design work, God dignifies work. I'll explain what I mean by this in a moment. First, let's read a few verses from Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. One of the reasons for our sometimes disconnect with the world of work, even our thinking that it's a necessary evil or simply a means of paying the bills, this comes from ancient Greek thought. The Greek philosophers largely thought of the material world as a realm from which humans needed freeing or liberating. They saw the material world as temporal, illusory, and being too involved in it drew you down away from your true purpose. 
Human beings were to become like gods, withdrawing from active life. This resulted in a view that those who were the most human were those who were the least involved in the material world. Work, then, by this way of thinking, was a barrier to a sort of higher life. And by this rationale, humanity is demeaned by work rather than dignified by work. By demeaned, I mean, in Greek thought, it was less than they should be when they worked. However, the Bible view of these matters is totally different. In the Bible, work is not demeaning of us, but actually the opposite. We're dignified by our work. By being dignified by work, I mean work is a means by which we express our true humanness as given by God. Work of all kinds, whether with your hands or with your head, evidences our dignity as a human being. Why? Because it reflects the image of God, the creator in us. Our calling is, to quote Genesis, subdue and have dominion. What does this mean, subdue and have dominion? Well, the rulers of the ancient Middle East set up statues or images of themselves in places where they claimed to exercise authority. Hold this thought in your head as we think about God's making man. This is the close connection with Genesis chapter 1. We're called to stand in for God in the world exercising stewardship over creation. In work, we're sharing in the things that God has done, bringing order out of chaos, bearing light where there's darkness, creating and building civilization as God originally intended and caring for all that God has made. The Greek thinker demeaned work by seeing it as ordinary and meaningless, whereas the Bible dignifies and elevates work us being God's co-workers. In fact, you could even say his vice-regents in creation. We are, as the New Testament puts it, both priests and kings. We stand before God on behalf of creation and we stand before creation on behalf of God. This means that the material world matters to God and so it should to us. Our work then is our reflecting God's involvement in creation and joining him in its ordering and renewal. Let me leave you with this one last thought. Even in our current economic era, we live in a world that demeans or stigmatises certain forms of work. For example, caring for children by being a stay-at-home mum or dad. Practical trades are often seen as less than other jobs. So let me ask you this question. If God came into the world, what would he be like? If God came into the world and did a job, what would he be? I can tell you. <clears throat> in Genesis, he's a gardener. And in the New Testament, we see him as a carpenter. As Timothy Keller puts it in his great book on the subject of work, no task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. So God dignifies work. <clears throat> Thirdly, workers' cultivation. Let's read some verses from Genesis again. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. 
the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that's pleasing to his sight and that's good for food. And then the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he'd taken from the man, and God brought her to the man. So let's start with this idea that God calls us to be cultivators. One of his instructions to humankind is described as filling the earth. This means more than procreation or literally moving into new spaces and places. This calling to fill the earth suggests that we are created for the purpose of building a civilization, of being responsible for the creation of a society. Our work is not simply for our own benefit, but what could be described as for human flourishing in general. Our calling is to fill the earth with the image of God who made us. So a question we could ask ourselves is, how do you populate your workplace with the image and glory of God? It's a challenge, isn't it? There's also a calling in this verse for humankind to rule and even subdue. And I don't know about you, but on first reading, this could sound a little bit tyrannical. It sounds aggressive, even adversarial, maybe exploitative, but that's not what it means. This refers to us ruling the world as God's image bearers. So it's better be used as seeing ourselves as faithful stewards or trustees of what God has given. God owns it, but he's chosen to put it under our care to cultivate it. The word subdue is a strong word. That means the real and material assertion of will. The real and material assertion of will. God made the world to need work, to be kept under his control. And we as human beings are those who exercise the calling in our cultivation of the world in which we work, in creating order out of chaos. We work to release the potential tied up in his creation. We're made in his image as a gardener. We share the same aim as God, the care, protection and fruitfulness of the world he created. It's about rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way as it helps the world in general and its people in particular to flourish. Farming takes the physical material of the soil and seed and produces food. Music takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful. When we take a piece of fabric and make something, when we take a broom and clean a room, when we take a human mind and teach it a number of things, all of these are continuations of the work that God began at the beginning of time. So we're all invited 
to participate in his creativity. This is illustrated in Genesis when God takes man and asks him to name the animals. While surely God could have done this, it's not beyond him, but he chooses to involve humankind in the continuation of his amazing work of creation. So through our work, as I've already mentioned, we bring order out of chaos. So whether doing brain surgery or collecting rubbish or painting a picture or caring for children, our work maintains, repairs and develops the fabric of the world. This is the way we connect our work to God's work. So fourthly, work as service. Uh, We've looked at work as God designed it in creation. It's a gift. We've seen how God gives dignity to work. It's not just a necessary evil. And we've explored work as a means of cultivating the world that God has entrusted us with. Now we're going to look at work as an act of service. God provides purpose for our work by calling us to serve the world. And to do this, we're going to read um, 1 Corinthians 7.17. Let's read this verse together. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down to all the churches. So in this chapter of Corinthians, Paul explains to his readers that when they become Christians, it isn't necessary to change their job that they're currently doing. They don't need to change their marriage, their state or their social station in order to live their lives faithfully as disciples of Christ. However, interestingly in the verse we've just read, Paul uses two heavyweight terms to describe the importance of work. Listen to this. He uses the same two words as he used earlier in his letter when he talked about their spiritual life. These two words are calling and assigning. He's already told them that they're called into relationship with God and then he later describes the spiritual gifts as assigned to them. Now, purposefully, He uses these same words in respect of their role, not in their role in the church, but their role in what we could call their secular job or their work. The implication is clear. Just as you've been called into relationship with God and to build up the body of Christ with the gifts that he's assigned to them, they also possess a calling to build up the wider human community by the work God has assigned them. We've already talked about the recovery of the idea of vocation, that work is not a necessary evil, but is actually an assignment from God as he has called us to serve others and the world which God has entrusted into our care. I think this is counterculture and and a pretty revolutionary way to think. Most think of work as a means of self-fulfillment, maybe about status, position and for some even power. As Christians, we see work as a way of serving God and our neighbour. So the question we have to ask ourselves when making a choice about work is it's no longer uh, what will make us the most money and give us the greatest status. The question now needs to be how, using the skills and abilities I have, can I be of greatest service to other people? So often when work becomes solely about me, my prosperity and success, you could even say my own exhortation, 
It's accompanied by excess. We become highly driven. We work long hours. With these come increasing levels of stress, anxiety, and for some, even burnout. A biblical view of work as an act of service extricates us from this highly individualised view of work. We are liberated by understanding the true purpose of work is to exalt something beyond ourselves. Not only that, seeing all work as a calling and assignment leads us away from a common way of thinking prevalent in the church at large that believes the jobs with real meaning are those deemed spiritual, pastors, evangelists, prophets, worship leaders and the like, and that all others are less important, of less value and have less purpose. The Bible is clear, all work, whatever category, we have used in the past is God's work and this isn't a new idea. Martin Luther dealt with the same issue hundreds of years ago when commenting on uh, Psalm 147 verse 13 he says this God strengthens the bars of your gates and he asks how God strengthens the bars of your gates and he answers By the word bars, we must understand not only the iron bar that the smith can make, but everything else that helps to protect us, such as good government, good city ordinances, good order and wise rulers. This is a gift from God. So how does God secure a city? How does he, as verse 13 says, strengthen the bars of your gates? It's through lawmakers, police officers, and those working in government and politics. God cares for the needs of others through the work of others. On another occasion, he remarks, God milks cows through the vocation of milkmaids. This is a truly beautiful thought, that God is at work in the hands of a maid milking a cow. So, seeing work as an act of service, it enables us to see that all work has a common high value and purpose. To honour God by loving your neighbour and serving them through your work. Work becomes an act of love. So that brings me to the end of this first podcast. We've looked at God's design for work. He calls us to carry on where he's left off, so to speak. God dignifies work. Work has meaning because it's a gift from God. We've also seen work as a means by which we create culture. We're engaged in releasing the good that God has tied up in creation. And finally, we have seen work as service. Work becomes a way of honouring God and loving your neighbour. So, if I were to summarise this in my mind, this makes work an act of worship. Work, an act of worship. Well, we've come to the end of our first podcast. In our next podcast, we'll be looking at some of the problems that work presents us with. But uh, let me do two things before you press stop. Firstly, I'd love to pray for you. And secondly, leave you with a question, maybe to explore with family and friends. So, Father, we thank you for the gift of work, that just as you work, so you have called us to join you in labouring for the completion of creation. Wherever we are, whatever form of work we're doing, we pray that you will help us to understand that in working, we're not primarily working simply for our own good, 
but also the common good and ultimately for your glory. Bless our service to the world in which we live and work in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the question for you to explore with your family and friends. Uh, We pray, as Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, didn't he? Give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Then I want you to do this. Reflect on who is involved in the fulfilment of this request. If you want to even list the jobs, we could even have a competition, couldn't we? Give us our daily bread. Who's involved in work that sees the fulfilment of this request? Have a think and email me if you like. A fascinating thought. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Amblecote Christian Centre's podcast. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, please visit our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk